seeing this industry, Earth observations in kind of data science, just growing immensely with all these different startups happening in, in industry. And also in terms of salary, it's just there are a lot better opportunities in terms of salary in the private sector in particular than with in an academic setting. And so... Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. The voice you heard right at the start of this episode, that was Eric Jensen. So Eric is a data scientist and he's recently made the jump from academia to the private sector. Now he decided to make that move for a variety of different reasons that we'll get into later on during the conversation. So identifying that what you're doing right now is not working for you, that this was the situation that Eric was in. There was nothing wrong with his job, it just wasn't right for him. He wanted to go in a different direction. So that's one thing to identify that. That's a great start, but then what do you do? How do you move forward? And I think this is what Eric does a great job of explaining. So we're going to walk through his process. What did he do? And how did he get this, this dream job that he ended up with? And I think the great thing about Eric's process, the steps that, that he took, you'll be able to use them too. So this is going to be a very career-focused episode. And, and I've actually published quite a few episodes that, that have been career-focused just like this one. They can be a little bit difficult to find in the podcast feed because I think now there's over 160 episodes in there. But if you go to mapscaping.com slash podcasts, if you click on the button that says careers, it'll filter all of the episodes and hopefully help you find the ones that will be relevant to you. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with me today. So so the reason why you're here is because you wrote this amazing thread on Twitter about your career journey. You're looking for a job and you had these incredible pieces of advice. And I think this would be really valuable to, to share with the listeners. Before we get into that, can you just introduce yourself to the listeners and perhaps explain to them who you are and how you got involved in, in Geospatial? Yeah, and I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Daniel. So yeah, my name is Eric Jensen. I'm a data scientist and I have a background in earth observation and spatial data analysis. So I'm actually much more comfortable referring to myself as a geospatial data scientist. So in practice, I'm really kind of a, a jack of all trades. I've worked in a lot of different types of projects. And so some of my background in, in geospatial, I initially did my undergrad in geography about 10 years ago and was first introduced to GIS back then, spent you know the next several years working in different capacities in conservation before getting into a geospatial data specialist position with a land management agency here in the US. Through that process, I realized that to do what I wanted to do, I, I needed a stronger kind of analytical and technical skill set. I was really kind of interested in remote sensing and spatial data analysis and wanted to go deeper with that. So I ended up pursuing a master's in ecology where I really focused on remote sensing, data science, ecological modeling, kind of treating it as a trade school to try to get to where I wanted to in my career. Then during my master's, I was introduced to a really fantastic research group at the University of Montana that had developed this product called the Rangeland Analysis Platform. With that group, I was kind of in the outreach applications of our data side of things. And so I created support documentation, explainer and tutorial videos on vegetation modeling and remote sensing, developed web data tools, data visualizations. During that time, I started to realize that my trajectory, I think, was kind of limited in an academic setting, especially having a, a master's. And so I started to look elsewhere. And ultimately, I pursued and was offered what I identified as my number one job, which is a data scientist position at Climate Engine. And so I started at this company, Climate Engine, about three weeks ago, and I'm really excited to be there. And I'm excited to be here to talk to you more about my uh, trajectory, what led me to that, to where I am now. So firstly, congratulations on, on finding a job. A couple of questions here. So your previous work, what did you say to the people there? What did you say to your boss, to your team? We just, I'm done. I'm leaving. Did, was there any discussion around how you could work with them to make things better? How could, how you could improve this trajectory that you're talking about before? How could you stay where you were and still get to where you're trying to go? Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I had some ideas about what that might look like. You know, I, I thought, well, we work closely with a lot of government agencies. Would it be possible to move into kind of an adjacent position? 
And so I kind of had some ideas that I went back and forth on whether that was realistic or a pipe dream, whether that could could happen. And yeah, once I had that conversation with my supervisor at the time, yeah, I, I just told him, gave him basically the reasons that I was was looking elsewhere in terms of, you know, kind of opportunities to to grow, seeing this industry, earth observations in kind of data science just growing immensely with all these different startups happening in, in industry. And also in terms of salary, it's just there are a lot better opportunities in terms of salary in the private sector in particular than with in an academic setting. And so my previous supervisor was fantastic to talk to and was really supportive. After I had that conversation, he kind of encouraged me as much as anyone else and was really in my corner and advocating for kind of reflecting back what he saw, which was similar to me, that this is an incredible time with, you know, opportunities to scale spatial data analysis to to global scales. There's just this increasing demand from all kinds of different sectors, myself interested in in conservation, sustainability, climate type stuff. So yeah, where I was very nervous about that conversation, he ended up being really supportive through that process. And it uh, ended up being a lot more comfortable than I had thought. You know, I worried worried through some worst case scenarios of you know what might happen in a conversation like that, where I said, "Well, I'm going to look elsewhere." Or, but it was it was great. It sounds like a really positive outcome for what could be a, a quite a difficult conversation. I, I would imagine. I'm wondering. So, the supervisor was unable to provide you with those opportunities that you saw in the market at the time internally within the company. But could they help you find, were they active in helping you find a new job? Could they be a reference for you? Could they uh, introduce you to people, that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he, and actually now my, you know, my supervisor at the time has now left and taken a position at Google as a customer engineer. So he's actually moved on as well to industry himself for some of the same reasons that I was interested in, in looking elsewhere. Yeah, he was actually closely connected with the group that I'm now working with, Climate Engine. Before I had any conversations with Climate Engine, he sent basically a proactive kind of reference. He coordinated with me at the same time as I was sending that. And then my now chief science officer, my my boss, called Brady and talked to him for an hour. And Brady walked him through different projects that I'd worked on and some of the ways I approach problems and just how it is to to work with me and all those things that an employer wants to know. So in some ways, probably Brady did some of the lifting in terms of my interview process as well by just providing a really fantastic resume. And I don't think all employers would do that. There are definitely employers who, you know, want to keep some stability and will exercise the power that they have to try to maintain that stability to some extent. And so I was really blown away by just how supportive Brady was through that process of my growth. And I really came to, yeah, admire that and want to be that type of person in the future. Yeah, me too. What's this guy's full name? Let's give him a shout out here. Sure. Yeah. Brady Allred. And so he was actually the developer of the rangeland analysis platform. Fantastic researcher doing a ton of stuff within an academic setting, now moving on to Google, where he'd worked closely with the Earth Engine team, you know, since early on in the Earth Engine days to develop these these tools. And yeah, a, a great person to work with. Well, again, it sounds like an absolute amazing outcome to be in this kind of situation where you're getting this kind of support internally and w- with your move to, to another company. Incredible. So you, you'd identified a bunch of opportunities, we can say, in, in the market. And you talked about this idea, like your, your dream job or, or your number one job. You referred to it in, in those kinds of terms. How did you identify that job? And not just that job, but at that company. What, what were a couple of the factors or the parameters that you were looking at? I was interested in data science overall as a field, you know, being able to continue some of the remote sensing of vegetation work that I've been doing previous to this. I got asked some of those questions through conducting these informational interviews that we'll talk about here in a little bit, but was kind of asked what kind of companies am I interested in? Would I be interested in kind of a company producing widgets doing data science? 
And I realized that I really wasn't interested in that. And I didn't really have the background to do that because I don't come from kind of a traditional data science background. It's much more of kind of a geospatial data background. And so Climate Engine was really appealing to me because for one, they're, they're a very mission-focused company. And so we're really trying to bring to bear climate and earth science data in a way that can inform decision-making for companies and governments globally. And that mission just really resonated with me and reflects my background overall. And because it's a, you know, a group that's primarily working with, it's all geospatial raster data, and then you know, summarizing analysis over different assets, whether those are rail lines or, or what have you, different kind of discrete features on the ground. It just really matched in terms of kind of my technical background as well, working with geospatial data. And so I liked both of those things. It was also a group that grew out of a research lab group. And so I found that to be just a a nice transition myself coming from a research group. I liked that they have a lot of scientists involved with these different projects and could kind of anticipate the type of approach they would have to problem solving. And so there were a lot of things that just appealed to me because I knew people involved at Climate Engine or who were kind of adjacent to Climate Engine. I could also kind of get character references on the team and understand before I was going into these conversations what it might be like to work there. And so that was incredibly valuable to me because I there are a lot of teams doing fantastic work, but it's also really important to me to be on a team that fosters growth and tries to really encourage and build up the team around them and just being a positive work culture. And so I, I try to look for that anywhere that I'm going to try to, to try to work. And Climate Engine just seemed to check all of those boxes and seems to still as I'm you know now three weeks in and just really excited about the projects I can work on. I think it's a really interesting insight there that it's not just the, the company's culture, the company's brand that makes the difference, the things they're working on. It's the people in the company too that are, if they're advocating for the company and for their own work, I mean, this has got to be a huge plus. I think it's got, it's got to be a positive sign. Totally. Yeah. We've alluded to this Twitter thread that you wrote a few times now. We've talked about a couple of things, social media. And the last thing you mentioned was these informational interviews. Can we start there? Because it sounded like this was part of your process for figuring out what you valued, what you wanted to do, where figuring out, well, where do I want to go? Could you tell me what an informational interview is for you and how you did this and what you got out of it? Yeah, that's a great question. And to me, informational interviews are, you know, in some ways they're pretty low stakes because they're intentionally not meant to be kind of angling for a job. So I think it's important to mention that up front. They're meant to be pretty low stakes in that way. But I approached them essentially as an opportunity to have conversations with people who I was interested where they were in their careers. So I identified people who had similar backgrounds to me. I've, over the last several years, talked to a lot of people with PhDs and research settings about where they're headed in their careers and different doors that are open to them. Having those conversations with people with similar backgrounds, so folks with masters who found their way into these data science positions in some cases, software development positions in other cases helped me to start to think, you know, more critically about exactly where I wanted to go next. And so I was able to ask them a lot of questions about things that it's not necessarily comfortable outside of these informational interviews to ask questions about. What were the concrete steps that you took to get to where you are? You know, I could ask questions about salary, how they represented themselves in in interviews just really go kind of in depth on what their strategies were to get to where they are, which was really valuable to me. And then over the course of those conversations, I was inevitably asked questions about my own interests as well. Sometimes I didn't have a clear answer to those questions. Do I want to be doing, you know, academic level research? Do I need to be answering kind of ecological questions overall using data science approaches? Specifically, what kind of work and teams do I want to work on? And over that process, I really had an opportunity to get great advice from people who I thought were doing really cool work and to think about, well, given my background and given my skills, 
what's a really good next step for me and how can I position myself for the types of positions that I'm, I'm interested in? So I've got a couple of questions here and I'll, I'll roll them into one and see how we go. So firstly, um, what was your kind of your success ratio? So you asked 10 people, did they all say yes? Like, did everyone you asked say yes? And did you do any preparation for this? Did you sit down and think through some questions and have a bit of a plan for, okay, I've got half an hour, an hour with this person. I, I want to start here and I want to go there. Yeah, great question. I had almost universal success with these. There were a couple of folks that you have to email back and forth to schedule a time. All of that is normal. I had about 15 of these interviews and was somewhere like 15 for 16. Some of these were people I was connected with already. So it was low hanging fruit. But yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised with how eager people were to talk with me. I, I tried to make it low stakes. You know, I tried to say, can I have 20 minutes or a half hour of your time to talk to you over, over Zoom? And people were really receptive to that overall, which was, was pretty great. Each conversation I wanted to be, of course, a little bit different. And so depending on the person's experience. And so I usually kind of looked at different folks' LinkedIn profiles to get an understanding of what their background and trajectory was before I met with them. And that helped me to kind of have some questions ready about the types of things that they've done or the way that they represent themselves online or, or whatever. And then, so I put together kind of a list of questions that I wanted to ask and just let that kind of guide the conversation. And then at the end of each conversation, I wrote down some reflections about each conversation. And I found that process really helpful, just thinking about what was the reason that I contacted this person to begin with? And, you know, did I get out of it what I was hoping to get out of it? And what, what do I take forward? And oftentimes I could distill you know, those takeaways down to one or two different things that I could still remember now that, yeah, they, they stick with you because the people that I met with were people I really respected. And so that advice really sticks with me. And, and it became really kind of a cool process to go through with those folks. The other thing I'll just add on the informational interview piece is, you know, once I had those connections with the people that I interviewed, then it was a lot easier for me to reach out to them in the future as well. And so with each of them, you know, once I got the job, I was able to text them and thank them again and kind of celebrate, you know, that I had gotten a position that I was at the time I talked with them initially, just trying to get my foot in the door, these different places. And I actually followed up with a few of them as I was starting to think about these companies more seriously. And having come from an, a research background and moving into a private company, I wanted to be able to ask some questions about the trajectory of the company. And yet I hadn't worked in the private sector. And so I wanted to be able to ask good questions. And so I talked to a friend who had worked for a number of geospatial startups about what his process was like and what he liked about some startups and didn't like about others. And so once I had that first interview, I could, I could kind of call on those same folks and create these relationships over time that yeah, now who knows? It's it's just great to have those connections and networks going forward and and it can be I think valuable to me from here on as well. So personally, I think this is an absolutely brilliant idea these these interviews that you did and you know, kudos to you for for doing it as well because I can imagine perhaps if you're in the position where you feel like you're asking for something, but this could be uncomfortable, but you did it and you you thought about it and it sounds like you gained a lot of interesting stuff out of it. I also think it's fantastic that you followed up with these people. I think most of us want to see other people succeed. And that feeling of thinking, well, I, maybe I had a, a tiny part to play in the success of someone else. I think that's really cool. And that's a nice thing to, to give people as well. So the second thing on your list here, so we had the information interviews. The second thing on your list was social media. I'm thinking there's going to be a little bit of overlap with these interviews, but could you tell us what you got out of social media, how social media helped you in your search for, for employment? Yeah, absolutely. So social media played a pretty significant role in the last two jobs that I've gotten first at University of Montana and then here. And it's been in kind of surprising ways that I wasn't aware of. And so I've been active on Twitter for probably two or three years, probably three years at this point, and a little bit active on LinkedIn as well. I use Twitter as a way to kind of share different projects that I'm working on, and then to glean feedback. and. When I was first posting on Twitter, I would 
be, you know, kind of self-conscious about posting things or not sure how things would be received and kind of, you just kind of put it out there to the world. And what I found was that, you know, people started to kind of engage with it and, you know, it became a good way to reach people all over the globe who are interested in kind of similar things, you know, who happen to see those posts. In a number of cases, those posts landed in front of people that, of course, you have no idea that anybody has given any time or thought to any one post for the most part, unless they're, you know, commenting and things like that. So initially, you know, I had posted this animated map of fires in the region that I was working in and just kind of interested in kind of sharing it. And a connection of mine reached out to me in my DMs and was interested in it and and wanted to use it for their website. And I said, sure, yeah. And while we're at it, could I pick your brain about some of the research that I'm working on? And that kind of led one thing to another where that person became kind of my bridge to my research group at University of Montana. So that led kind of directly to a job. And then by the time I got to the interview process at Climate Engine, both the chief science officer and director for product development said that they were aware of my work for a while and had been kind of following me on on social media. And I, of course, had no idea other than that they had liked some posts and things like that. For me, it became a way to then, you know, over time to get the type of things that I'm working on in front of the right people. I don't have a huge following. I don't post 10 times a day or even one time a day a lot of times. But when I have something to share, I, I do. And yeah, I've just found it that stuff that I am sharing often finds its way in front of people who I'm really happy in the long run that it found its way in front of. Maybe like a lot of people, I think that I feel like I can waste a lot of time on social media. But I think if you approach it the way you are as a way of distributing your work, showing your work, these are the things I'm working on, this is what I've done, and interacting with people, I can see it being a really great on-ramp for building a a deeper relationship with, with people that are doing the same kind of stuff. So, so this makes perfect sense to me. The next one on your list is something ne- very near and dear to my heart, professional podcasts. So I, I've learned a ton from podcasts, from podcasting and listening to podcasts. But w- w- what did you get out of podcasts? Yeah, well, this podcast was fantastic and was the one I leaned on more so than any other. I'd been listening to this podcast for years, mostly focusing on you know, the episodes on Jedi or SAR or different types of sensors or workflows that I was interested in. What I think is great, Daniel, about the way that you've gone about this podcast is that you'd have, you know, kind of a breadth of different people on. And at that time when I started to think, well, I'm going to be, you know, doing this job search and try to be strategic about it, it was really easy for me to go back at your whole archive of different episodes and look for any that seemed interesting in terms of a career search. And so there was one called, you know, getting where you want in your geospatial career, hiring and being hired in geospatial, building a personal brand in geospatial. All of those were really helpful and interesting. And I mean, what's great about podcasts is you don't have to bug anyone to listen to them. And so I can just put them on and get a lot of the same value I would get from an informational interview and start to wrap my head around some of those ideas and how I might be able to carry some of those forward in my own career. And so actually then by the time I got to the informational interviews, you know, I started off by just listening to professional podcasts like Mapscaping while I was traveling over the holidays. And then by the time I got back home after the holidays and was trying to have some of these informational interviews, I'd already thought quite a bit about where I wanted to go. And it made those conversations I had with people more productive as a result. And so, yeah, I I just can't speak highly enough about the different podcasts that especially this this podcast is put together, you know, were really relevant to me. And anytime I have somebody who I think comes from a similar background and is interested now in how I got to where I am, you know, I always recommend your podcast for starting to think through some of those things. So, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not blowing smoke here just because I'm on your podcast right now promoting your podcast, but it, it really was very helpful. So I really appreciate this. You know, it's fantastic that people are getting value out of it. And 
I really don't think that we talk enough about our career. So some people are interested in machine learning. Some people are interested in Python and, and some people are interested in something else. But we all have a career. And I, I feel like this is a black box for a lot of people. But this is something we all have, we all struggle with from time to time. And it can be really difficult to to have conversations, like actual conversations with people about your career. I'm feeling stuck. How do I move forward? I'm here. I want to go over there. What did you do? And that's what I'm hoping to do with a lot of these podcast episodes about careers. So it's awesome that they're helpful. I, I just want to say, though, I would be remiss if we didn't point out that there's a bunch of other great podcasts out there, too. So if you're into podcasts, uh, Seen From Above, Geomob, and Minds Behind Maps, if I think of others, I will put them in the show notes of, of this episode. 100%. Yeah. And I've, I've listened to those as well. And it's, it's to some extent what comes up in your feed. And so because I've been more on mapscaping, you know, it comes up in my feed. But yeah, Max does great work with Minds Behind Maps and, and some of those other podcasts are, yeah, certainly seen from above is also fantastic. And yeah, you know, I think, I think some of this stuff we're talking about today generalizes pretty well. But we all gravitate towards, you know, whatever podcast or whatever people we want to talk to based on our interests as well. And so different folks' interests will be slightly different from mine, and they'll be trying to go a slightly different direction. We'll gravitate towards a different podcast for that, that reason. And there's a ton of that great content out there. So that's another brilliant insight there. We gravitate towards things that we're interested in. But if you don't put out into the world what you're interested in and be clear about that, so we were talking about social media before, if you hadn't been putting out your work, I am interested in this stuff, I am doing this, I am going in this direction, you cannot expect people to find you and gravitate towards you if that's something that you're interested in. And this kind of leads on to your next point here. It's an online portfolio. This is another way of putting your work into the world and hopefully having people gravitate towards it. Can you talk to me a little bit about how this affected your, your job search? For the types of positions I was going for and was angling for, I had talked to some, I mean, some of this was advice that I got through kind of articles and podcasts or conversations I had with people, but it, it became clear that I, there was going to be value in having a personal website. And I'd been thinking about doing that for quite a while, ultimately finally got around to doing it again over the holidays. So I kind of had this you know, strategy for how I wanted to represent myself online. Part of that was having a personal website, which gave me space to be able to provide some more detail about the different projects that I've worked on, especially. And so I am active on LinkedIn. I use that kind of as a, a resume and, and that's pretty helpful for collecting, you know, just kind of bullet points of stuff that I've worked on, but showing is so much more valuable than telling in geospatial in a lot of ways, especially if like for me, I'm creating videos and web tools and data visualizations. It's really much more important for me to be able to represent my work, you know, just to be able to copy and paste or embed my work in a website. And so that's really how I ended up coming to producing a website is I just realized I had a real need to be able to have some space to you know, display my my projects that wasn't available kind of anywhere else. And so I the two things that I basically did for my job search were created that website and then cleaned up my public GitHub account, which for coding and programming is is really valuable. For other types of jobs, you know, that may or may not be be necessary. I think doing both of those things ended up being valuable. And you know, now that I'm in my new position, my team is using my website to introduce me to, to new people. And so it's the catalyst for me creating my website was this job search, but it's something that now I have and will carry forward. And it'll be easy for me to update going forward in a way that, you know, I become an asset as somebody, you know, who's active online for my company that they can kind of point to as somebody who's, who's working for them. And so it can really be valuable, I think, in a job search, but also, you know, just in a career more generally. So I just want to take a couple of comments to this. Firstly, I think I'll link to your website in the show notes. I think you've done a brilliant job of injecting personality into it. It's not a bland, boring place to be. You've done a great job there. And secondly, I want to say that every recruiter that I've talked to in these different podcast episodes we've published around you know, getting jobs and interview strategies and all that kind of thing. When I ask these people, 
if there's a link in the CV to a personal website, will you click on it? And the answer has always been yes. And if you just think about that for a second, immediately by clicking on that link and they expect that you have another 5, 10, 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes to show off your work, to be in front of those people, to have their attention, to convince them that you are the person that they are looking for. And I think that is so valuable. You simply cannot stand out on LinkedIn, for example. It doesn't, you look like everybody else. And I think a personal website is a brilliant asset if it's you know, well-made and well-maintained. One of the things I've heard also from a number of folks since then, since I put my website online is, you know, in geospatial, a lot of the ways that we're representing ourselves, especially if we're doing cartography is, you know, we're creating these visual products in a lot of ways. One of the things I've heard is just if you're able to put together a website that represents your work really well, it becomes this kind of meta expression of your ability to put together projects that are going to be valuable once you're in a company. And so I think while I was putting together my website, I kind of recognized that and used that as motivation where if I had a website that was kind of buggy or like, you know, looked great on the web, but looked pretty terrible on a smartphone. I wanted to be the first place people were going to look for me. And I think that it can become that in your kind of how you represent yourself online. Totally. It's a, it's a reflection of, of who you are and, and what you value, I think. Another reflection is your CV. And you did something interesting with your CV template. What, what was that? I had an idea of how I wanted to represent myself through a CV. You know, I really wanted to put my technical proficiencies up front because I knew that was going to be really valuable. I didn't want it to be buried in that I've used R and Python in these specific projects within just kind of a job listing on my CV. So I wanted to have these separate sections on kind of technical proficiencies right up front. And so I just looked for a template that provided that and found one. It was through a website called Novo Resume. But there are all kinds of these websites out there that, you know, depending on what you want to highlight, you can structure your resume in that way. And so I think it was like $20 a month to subscribe for their service. And I was like, well, that's, you know, a pretty low investment. And in the end, it really was because my now supervisor really loved my CV and then ended up using my CV to advocate for my salary ultimately. And so 20 bucks up front is a pretty small amount of investment for what it can deliver in terms of first just representing yourself and your skills, and then also being kind of a, a chip that your future su supervisor can use in negotiations around salary. The thread that I see running through all this is, but what's important to me? Where do I want to go? How am I going to get there through these, these different online resources that, you, that you've talked about? And then the other sort of thing is the branding. How am I representing myself? How am I making it clear to people what it is that I can do and, and how I'm going to do it? And for me anyway, it sounds like you have done this through, you know, through your online portfolio, through social media, making the, these contacts with people, showing your work, a fancy CV template. Did you think about it in that way when you're doing it? Or did you just did it just make sense? Oh, okay, I, maybe this should be a little bit shinier. Maybe I could do better in, in this area. But what were your thought process around that? Yeah, well, and of course, I didn't do these in order. You know, I, I kind of broke these out into these kind of discrete categories, you know, for the purpose of a Twitter thread, because it was just a useful way to kind of communicate some of the things I did. But really, this was a really iterative process for me. And so you know, as I was having these informational interviews, I'm looking at how these different people in positions I'm interested in have represented themselves online and how they are representing themselves online and asking them for advice and trying to incorporate that. And so I'm kind of, you know, through this process, updating how descriptive I am in my LinkedIn as I see like, oh, this person had a lot of detail about these projects they worked on. And that's really valuable. I can see how I could do that. You know, so kind of through this process, I, I got a lot of advice passively just through kind of observing what other people were doing. And then through being more kind of deliberate about creating a website where I can plug in all of this information. But you don't have to feel kind of looking at this thread overwhelmed by this whole process. It, it was really fun, I thought, actually, to do a lot of this. I enjoyed creating my website. And maybe that's why it comes off as being fun, you know, kind of 
fun and positive overall. Afterwards, it was it was really cool to do the informational interviews. I I just loved that process, and it was fun to be able to have a reason to contact people I otherwise might not contact. Yeah, it all kind of helps you to find your way. You know, it helped me to find my way towards the job that I ultimately realized I wanted, but at the outset, didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do when I started this process. I'm pleased you mentioned that idea of the iterative process. So nothing was perfect straight away. At least that's what I get out of it. it was trial and error, looking around what's working, what's not working. At any point, because those interviews were, didn't just happen all at one day, they were sort of spread out and you would have been working on bits and pieces of this during the time. Did you ever show people what you're working on? Oh, I'm making a website. Here it is. What, what do you think? I'm doing this on social media. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, I, I wasn't that deliberate about it. No, I, I, I don't think I did a whole lot of that. I, I started to show some friends my website and try to get their perspectives on it. Friends who were kind of in, in my field. But yeah, I, I think the reason was I didn't want to ask too much of the people I was interviewing. And I, I think I was a little more interested in getting some of their ideas around some of these you know bigger topics than kind of asking for that direct feedback. One of the things we talked about in our pre-interview was that my job search process ended up being shorter than I had expected. And that was great. And so I think if if my job search process had gone on a little bit longer, I probably would have started to be more direct about if I was kind of striking out in different places, I would have been a bit more direct about asking, well, what what can I do? And can I get advice on how I'm representing myself on my website? Or here's this CV I you know, I submitted for this position. What do you think? I fortunately just never got to that process, got to that step where I had to do kind of more of that kind of direct, you know, seek direct input and do some more of that reflection. But then again, we're going back to the idea of an iterative process. Like if it's not working, maybe I should try something else. What else could I try? Where can I get feedback from? So that that kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, that iterative process would have just kept playing out (laughs) if I was still searching for a job. So I guess the thing we haven't talked about is where did you find the jobs to apply for? So, So where were you looking for jobs? So one was Twitter. And so actually, I ended up finding the job that I ended up getting through Twitter. It was a just a link that was posted there. And then I also started to look at a number of different job boards that one way or another I was introduced to, you know, different people had mentioned them or, or somehow I found them. And so one was this really fantastic listserv called Geospatial Jobs. And it pulls together. It's a, a Substack website that pulls together just an incredible list of different jobs in industry involved in geospatial. It's kind of directed more towards folks coming from academic settings. And so it's places priority on kind of research scientist and data scientist jobs that are kind of PhD level or postdoc level, but is a great resource online as well. And then there are a few others. Climate Base is one that's come around kind of recently for kind of climate tech type jobs that there are a lot of geospatial and data science type jobs that show up there. And then there's another one called Nature Tech Jobs that I looked at as well. And those were helpful. You know, I ended up applying for some jobs through those job boards. They didn't ever lead anywhere. But I think even if any one job application doesn't lead somewhere. It's just helpful to be able to comb through a lot of different job postings at a time and be able to see what kind of skills, you know, different positions are prioritizing, how they're representing that in their job listings, what types of companies there are out there in this space. There's just an overwhelming number of companies out there, of course. And so it can give you an idea. For me, it gave me an idea of five or 10 different companies that I should just bookmark their specific job boards and I can follow them in terms of, you know, whether they're posting something that I might be, you know, set up to apply for. I think the job boards are are great just because they're designed to collect jobs around some interest. And so my interest being, you know, climate, sustainability, ecology, conservation, you know, I gravitated towards job boards kind of in that sector. If you're interested in, I don't know, food security or something like that, or 
international development, you might gravitate towards different job boards than I did. But I think they're the general sentiment is they are just useful for looking at a lot of different jobs across a broad section of the industry, all in you know five or ten minutes. So earlier in the conversation, we we talked about your your social media presence, your your posting, sharing your work online, and in some cases getting feedback and people are engaging with it. So this tells me that you had some kind of an, an audience. Did you ever just consider posting online across these different social media platforms, Twitter and LinkedIn? Hey, I'm, I'm looking for a job. This is what I can do for you. Yeah, I did. And I really thought I was going to do that. And I guess I, yeah, I ultimately just didn't ever do that for one reason or another. I, there was something kind of holding me back from, from doing that. I think it can be a great strategy. And I see a lot of people do that especially people who have a significant following. They want to leave an academic setting for something in industry, and they're letting their network know about that. And I see those posts get a ton of engagement. And then a few weeks later, they end up somewhere that they're really excited about. Some of those people who do that are kind of seem to be rock stars in their field with a lot of followers who probably could have gone to industry years ago. But I think that can be an effective strategy. And I guess the thing holding me back from doing that was that I was in a position that I was kind of happy with. And there were scenarios where I would be able to get a pay increase or stay with my team. And I guess I just, for me personally, I didn't want to be quite so public with that, just to kind of respect where I was and the work that I was doing at the time in the event that I ended up staying there. I guess I ultimately didn't want to take that step. I, I can understand that. It would feel a little bit like burning the bridges, I, I think. And people might take it out of context. They might make some assumptions about what you're doing there and your relationship to that company at the time. So I, I totally understand that. I want to push back on what you said about if you have a large following. I think it's more important to have a meaningful following, like a meaningful group of people. If you uh, have 10 people that you uh, engage with on a regular basis or follow you on Twitter or wherever it is, but those 10 people are all the CEOs of the companies that you want to work at. I mean, that is a meaningful following if you're looking for a job. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, having a, a following of people in your, your field is incredibly valuable. And yeah, the main thing is just that post getting in front of the right person. I mean, when it comes down to it, that's, you know, in terms of getting a job, it just has to find its way to that one person. It doesn't matter whether it gets, it goes viral <laughs> or whatever. And so, yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. And I think especially in just the geospatial field overall, we're a relatively small community, but we're a really meaningful community doing important work and we can really help each other. And so, you know, it can even just get in front of the right person who knows the right person in some cases. These things can play out in kind of unpredictable ways online. And so, yeah, that's kind of the fun thing about being on Twitter, the side of, you know, you can get sucked into Twitter for sure. And, and I fall into that as well. But it's unpredictable. It's low stakes. You can, you can put, it, put something that you want to say out there in the world, and you don't know who it might end up in front of that could be really meaningful. Totally, totally agree. One more question about the, the, these jobs. You talked about combing through the jobs, you're looking at these specific places for jobs that you might be interested in. Did you find any Sort of common traits for these jobs? Were they looking for a common set of skills? Like I, I could imagine maybe Python or some other programming language or perhaps some other tools. But was there anything there when you were looking through the different jobs that stuck out to you as, oh, okay, th this is the same in every job. All these people are looking for, for this kind of person, this kind of skill set. I think, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because I think that in a lot of cases, these companies are looking for people with the common skills skill set. Definitely what I saw was a lot of Python. I've done quite a bit of with R in the past, but I think being especially in, you know, a geospatial shop doing data science, it's there's just things naturally gravitate towards Python for a variety of of reasons. And so I think that's that's really common among the jobs that I looked at. One of the things that really surprised me was there was such a diversity of ways that different companies would represent in these job postings, what they were looking for. That I think, you know, in some ways there was a lot of overlap between the jobs, but some job postings were really, really specific about the specific types of packages or workflows or whatever that they wanted applicants to have to the point that sometimes they were 
almost unrealistic. And it seemed like maybe the job posting was written by like an HR person who had done some Googling about, you know, different skill set, like a wish list of different skills that some unicorn might have that would maybe deter qualified applicants from applying. And then there were others that were so kind of high level, it was kind of harder to get a sense for what they were specifically looking for. And my observation has been that with a lot of companies that I don't know that they always know. There are some companies definitely that are looking for someone very specific, but in a lot of cases, they're looking for the right people with the skill set that can be valuable that they you know, don't know who you are. And so you can put in an application and if you have a way kind of in to make a compelling case for yourself for that position, you know, you can do it. You can go for that position. And so I would be kind of liberal about which positions I would would apply for. With that, the other thing I would say is that using your network, I just hear that reflected so much. And I think it would be pretty remiss to not talk about that in this interview. For me, using my network has been incredibly valuable at every stage. And I think there are so many companies that are so busy with day-to-day operations that even if they have a job posting, they're just overwhelmed with applications in a lot of cases. And it can be really valuable to have some sort of personal connection to the company. And so like you brought up with my previous supervisor, Brady, for me, that was a great foot in the door in just so many different regards for me to have a sense for what the company was like, for him to be able to represent me to somebody who he has some rapport with. It just made the whole process, you know, much more kind of personal. And and I think that a lot of hiring happens in that way. It can be kind of frustrating because it can appear, I don't know, you know, we want to believe that it's people find their ways into these jobs based on merit. And there has to be merit there. But sometimes what makes you rise to the top is that they knew your work through some other way through your network. And you're more of a known quantity at that point. And so I think doing that networking is really valuable for not just being frustrated by not hearing anything back after cold applying a bunch of different companies. Yeah, I think you nailed it when you talked about being a known quantity. So the way you show up online, for example, your online portfolio, these uh, connections that you made through, through sharing your work and through your, your personal network. For me, all, all of this is helping other people to understand who is this person? What, what can they do for me? I guess what you're re- doing for them is you're removing that uncertainty, making it more and more certain and easier, removing risk from their side, making it easier for them to make a decision. And I, I think that's, that's really important and, and perhaps overlooked from the, the applicant's point of view. Yeah, we you so often hear how little time HR folks spend with each CV, 30 seconds or maybe even less than that in some cases. If you can find some other way to get yourself and your portfolio in front of a hiring manager or even better somebody, you know, who's high up in the team that you want to work on, I mean that's just so valuable and it gives you an instant leg up for reasons that, you know, it's hard to argue with. For me, I think I was able to make a pretty compelling case for myself in this role that is just a little bit harder to do just through a CV if they don't know you. And so, yeah, in some ways, you know, I feel a little ambivalent about that. It should be hiring should be based 100% on merit, and that should be the case. But there's this social aspect as well. People want to be able to kind of screen based on people they they know and have, have worked with and Ultimately, we're all going to be working together and it's valuable to have some rapport. And there are all these kind of intangibles that play into a job process that if you can do a little bit of that, I think it's really, really valuable. Wow, Eric, we have come a long way. Thank you so much for for sharing your your journey with us, these insights that you had along the way, the things that worked well for you. I really hope that your journey helps someone else on, on their journey. So I really, really appreciate your time. So I'm going to put a bunch of links in the show notes of this episode to help people find some of these things that we've been talking about. But if someone wants to reach out to you and ask you some questions or continue this conversation, where is it that they can go to do that? Twitter or LinkedIn are both great. If you're able to link to those in the show notes, that would be fantastic. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have those conversations. Having had all this, these beneficial conversations with folks, I'm happy to play that role from the other side now and, and try to provide some, some advice. So. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been a real treat to be here. And yeah, after being a fan for several years, 
yeah, it's just really fun to meet you and be on the podcast. And I really hope that this helps some folks who are in a similar position to me. So thanks. I'm sure it will. And thanks very much for, for paying it forward. That, that's great. Thanks so much for your time. I hope we talk again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Daniel. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Eric Jensen. I'll put links to where you can connect with him in the show notes of this episode. And of course, there'll be there'll be a bunch of links in there today to other episodes very similar to this one. Episodes focused on your career that might, might help you in, in your journey. So I just want to point out that this journey probably hasn't been that easy for Eric. So you've just listened to him talk about it for the last 40, 45 minutes. And it sounds like it was a very straightforward process. But imagine sitting down and coming to that realization that oh, I'm not where I want to be. I would like to be somewhere else. I'm unhappy here. I feel limited here. I think for a lot of people, this is a pretty hard realization because once you have that realization, you're on the hook. It's up to you to change it. And I don't think anybody really likes change. You're certain about what you have now. You know that you're stuck. You understand what your job is about. You have the certainty of this is not working for me. And you're gonna move from that certainty to the uncertainty of something else might work for me, might be better for me. And when you say it like this, this sounds very obvious, but I think for a lot of us, we don't want the uncertainty because if it might work, it might also not work. Okay, so that's one thing, the realization that this is not working. And then what do you do? Where do you go? I think this idea of interviewing other people, talking with other people, people that you admire, people that have found themselves in a place where you want to be, who have made the jump, and asking them questions. How did you get here? What would you do differently next time? What had the biggest impact in your career? And at the same time, building a personal connection with these people. I think this is a brilliant strategy. So Eric also talked about his use of social media and how that helped him. And of course, he also made a personal website. And I think a lot of the other things that Eric talked about, for me at least, revolved around the idea of branding. What do I want people to see? What do I want people to pay attention to? And how am I going to make it easy for them to discover me and understand what it is that, that I do, what I'm interested in, how I could perhaps be a part of what they are doing? And when you do this, when you start putting your ideas out into the world, sharing your work, it feels pretty scary. And I think for a lot of us, it's so scary that the temptation is to do nothing or at the very least be the same as everybody else, not to stand out, to play it safe. And I completely understand that. But I think that playing it safe in this context is probably the riskiest thing that you can do. So right at the start of this episode, I mentioned that uh, we've published a bunch of episodes like this, a bunch of career-focused episodes, episodes that are designed to help you on your journey. And if you go to mapscaping.com podcasts and click the button that says career, there'll be a bunch of episodes there that, that might help you get to where you're trying to go. Okay, that's it for me. That's it for this episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. I'll be back again next week. Until then, you're more than welcome to reach out to me on social media. You can catch me at Mapscaping on Twitter or search for Daniel Mapscaping, something like that on LinkedIn, and I'll show up there as well. Okay, see you again next week. Bye.